All right, we'll take the time now uh, up till our lunch break of just walking through um, the biblical principles and a suggested method. And uh, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's talking about building. And verse 5, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. And then uh, some of the sobering, one of the most sobering passages in all of the New Testament, uh, Gordon Fee, a commentator, writes, he says this is one of the most sobering passages in all of the New Testament. He says, according, uh, the, uh, the Lord says in verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. And this is what Gordon Fee is referring to. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And the reason is what follows. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Well, that is, uh, we're talking about building projects. Uh, I grew up with the three little pigs, N uh, not with them, but uh, <laughs> aware of them. Aware of them and their building project, right? The, the materials they used. Remember that, the wood, the straw, and the brick? And as I was looking at that fable, uh, in America, uh, the first pig, when the uh, wolf blows the, the house down, what happens to that pig? He escaped. In America, he escaped. He goes to the next uh, hut and stays there, the two of them, and then the wolf comes and knocks that one down, and then the two of those go to the third one with the brick, and then they succeed, right? And, and the wolf gets, comes down the chimney and to a pot. And, but that fable uh, changed when it hit America. It was born out of England. And uh, that first pig was toast. And so was the second one. Uh, it got eaten, but over here with low self-esteem with everyone, they had to change. They had to change the story. So, you know, growing up, just building projects. There are six building materials in in this passage here, and there are two groups. You're not to take them apart and say, "Well, the gold means this, and the silver means this," and the uh, no. It's just two groups of building materials. One goes up in flames, and the other one lasts uh, the testing by fire. And the foundation is the gospel, is Christ. 
So be careful how you built. In the whole area of ministry, we're talking about decision-making. We want to build with God's word. Uh, and what actually God used to help change me in college of going into forestry, not that that would have been bad. I could have served the Lord with God's grace in that whole field. But I, I was two years there at a school, and I'm learning, and I'm thinking, you know, after two years, I'm realizing there's only two things that last for eternity here on this earth, and that is people's souls and the Word of God. And I thought, I mean, that's what's only, everything else is going to be gone. So I wanted, to, Lord, if you still want to use me, I'd be humbled, wonderful, I mean, just be a privilege but I want to invest in people and their souls with the word of God. And that's what changed my direction in school. But here in this passage, be careful. Uh, there are two different kinds of building materials. And in the larger context of 1 Corinthians, there's human wisdom in chapters 1 and 2. There's human wisdom, right? Professing to be wise, they become fools. And then there's godly wisdom mostly with the scriptures and the gospel. So be careful when building ministries that we're going to the scriptures for answers and guidance and not just taking all kinds of human wisdom and human, uh, especially in the psychologies. That's a whole different religion. They have their own God. They define their own uh, who man is. He's evolved. He's not even a creation of God. They have their own solution it's not sin and you need a redeemer and they'll have 250 different theories for suggesting what man's problem and solution is so it's a different religion but you don't want to go there and build in people's lives you want to go with the scriptures on helping people discipling them and caring for their souls and the day of testing all these people are saved in this passage even people who use other human wisdom in their uh, ministries, it says they'll be saved, but only as through fire. It's just they have nothing left. They're there, but all the work they did for years, it just all goes up in smoke. Well, I thought Dr. So-and-so said, and I thought Oprah said, and I thought this, and I thought this, and it's gone, puff. But ministering to God's people by the Holy Spirit using his word lasts for eternity. That's why I'm thrilled about churches that are devoted to Christ and his word in all ministry and building on that foundation, and that lasts. And there are rewards for that. So in light of that, be careful how we build. Now, biblical principles, this is there in your notes, some prerequisites or biblical decision-making. Uh, the first one is be rightly related to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I want to know what God's will is for my life, and I'm unsaved. Repent and believe. <laughs> There's God's will for your life. For anyone who is an unbeliever is repent and believe. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about uh, in the fact that we're all worshipers. It says that... Uh, the love of Christ controls us, constrains us. And then it says, For he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again on, on uh, their behalf. 
But the worshiping heart, this is, you don't have this in your notes, but the heart's composed of three aspects, our thinking, affections, and choices. And we're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's graced us uh, as a gift with saving faith. And then we're to grow in our love for God and our love for other people. But that's the worshiping heart. And out of the heart flow the issues of life. So that's why it's important that we're, are, you're saying, well, I, I need all three of those help with those, with my thinking, my affections, and my volition, my will. You go, well, isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit gave us the word to go after our thinking, right? Be renewed, the spirit of your mind, transformed by the renewing of uh, the, with the scriptures. And you said, what about my affections and volition? We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that he is at work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit's in us and gives us new affections, religious affections, to use Jonathan Edwards' terminology. We have affections after the Lord and loving other people we didn't have before. So the Spirit of God is in us, very active. Matter of fact, I'm looking at the Spirit. He empowers us, he comforts us, he enables us, he strengthens us, he convicts us, he illumines our minds to help us understand his word. He dwells in us. You know, he's very much at work. But he's in us both to will, the right affections, and the power to do. To affect that volition. So he's given us the resources. And then other people, the church, come alongside and encourage us and uh, stir us up to love and good deeds and the body of Christ where we serve and we grow and we learn together. And again, you have that passage that is so indicative of what we are now in Christ. We aren't living for ourselves, but we're living for him. Not perfectly, but we're growing to live more for him, less of self. So as an unbeliever, often called the old man in Christ, I mean, in the scriptures, the old man, we were all centered around ourselves, to use that passage. We lived for our own advantage. And towards God, we, we were unbelievers. We suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. We didn't want to believe. There's no such person as an atheist or an agnostic. There really isn't, not biblically. They refuse to believe is what Romans 1 says. They suppress, it's very clear to them. They just suppress it. I was sitting on the plane with a, a couple traveling overseas. So I, had, I was, had my Bible. I was working on some things, and it was a long flight. This older woman and her husband were sitting next to me, and she looked. She says, are you a, a pastor or a teacher? And I said, I'm, at the time, I was both. And she said, well, I'm an atheist. And I said, well, that's really interesting you said that. Because God says in the Bible there's no such person as an atheist. She, I can tell that was the first time she ever heard that. She said, where does it say that? I said, right here in Romans 1. I said, would you like me to read this? And she said, no, I'll read it. So she started reading out loud. 
of Romans 1. And she got to the place where they suppress the truth. It's very clear and evident to them. They exchange the worship of the glory of God, and they worship the creature rather than the creator. And she says, I just think that's way too black and white. And a thought popped into my mind. I didn't say it, so I can show you some red letter. Um, <laughs> I didn't go there. That wouldn't have been inappropriate. I knew what she meant. That's so dogmatic. Doesn't allow any, any other room, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing, uh, no other way. And she says, I believe every situation will determine what's right or wrong. I said, well, then every individual makes himself to be a god to know what's right or wrong rather than what God says is right or wrong. And she said, well, you probably read one of my dad's books. I said, who's your dad? She said, Joseph Fletcher, the father of situational ethics. And I, whoa, Uh, now he's long gone. Um, But here was his daughter, only surviving child. And she had been taught that. But I pray for her. I mean, she read Romans 1. I pray that God, she's still alive. I keep checking on her. Uh, she's still alive. I keep praying that God will bring someone else across her path to water the seed. And that God would save her. So there's no atheist or agnostic. They just suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But again, we're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God invades us. He, he we didn't seek him, he sought us. He first loved us. And we're so thankful for the salvation that he blessed us with. And now we grow in our faith. Now there's a diagram here. I'm going to come back to this um, probably in the next session. So that's in your notes. So I would just want to move to be rightly related to Christ. The second one is to pursue a life of worshiping and glorifying God. I mean, uh, Colossians 1, be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect. Why do we want to know the will of God? So we can walk in a manner worthy, pleasing him, glorifying him, uh, knowing him. And I put there in parentheses, no fear, love, trust, and obey. What, um, and I've just been gleaning more from some of our former brothers in Christ who wrote a lot, uh, the, the Puritans, Thomas Watson, George Swinnick, Richard Baxter, and there was something that as I'm reading through their material, it's like becoming more and more clear as they're reading the scriptures and they're writing is that what we want is to try to stop sin in our life. I mean, you just talk to many believers and they're coming for counseling. I just want to stop this sin in my life. Well, what they came up with is looking at the scriptures is that you want to keep from giving in to sin when you're tempted then you have to first start with knowing and understanding God. That's where you start. You know, like a hefty diet here of, I want to pursue knowing him and understanding him. 
sort of Jeremiah 9, you know, don't boast in your wisdom or riches or might, but boast in this that you know me and understand me, uh, that he practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. So know and understand the Lord. Then it moves, once you start doing that and you understand who God is and understand, you also start understanding who you are. In Psalm 99, you exalt the Lord high and then you worship at his footstool, it says. You bow low when you lift him high. And knowing and understanding then moves to fearing him. Not a slavish fear, but a, a wholly devoted fear. Uh, a reverence of God. And so you begin to see, he is majestic. He is to be revered. And you begin to uh, see his goodness, his majesty. You see what he has done for us. This is all part of fearing God. And fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Matter of fact, if you fear God, you'll depart from evil, it says in Proverbs. You go, hmm, that's really interesting. I want to stop the sin. Um, and if I don't go getting to know my God, studying him and his ways, his attributes, and I'm not reverencing him, I'll take a very low view of sin if I'm not reverencing him. But if you revere him, you love what he loves and you hate what he hates, and then that moves you to love him. Because you realize this majestic God, what he did, he first loved us, he provided salvation for us. It moves you to love him. And if you love him, then you'll trust and obey him. But you just don't go to someone who's in sin and say, you just need to trust and obey the Lord. They don't know who the Lord is. I mean, even Christians. This... I, just trust and obey. Stop that sin. Just do right. Uh, okay. Boy, I hate that because I really love that sin. And you go, there's, there's things that precede trusting and obeying, even as a Christian. And the more I'm reading and seeing this flow, that if you omit knowing, fearing, and loving the Lord, you will commit sin. If you omit, omission leads to commission. Are you, following, are you tracking with me? I know it's, uh, it's kind of deep, but it's not. You say, man, I, I so want to hate sin more in my life. I want to do what's right. Then know your God, especially in the face of Jesus Christ. And then fear him, reverence him, and then You'll, you'll begin seeing his attributes and then you'll love him because he first loved us and you're in light, light of the gospel truths. And if that's going on, you'll be wanting to trust and obey him. There won't be that appetite to want to go after sin. One passage that is very clear on this is Jeremiah 2.13 where the Lord said to Israel, you've committed two evils. The first evil that you've committed is you've forsaken me the fountain of living waters. The second evil is you've hewed out broken cisterns to drink from, and you've gone after them. And in context, it was Egypt and Assyria. Larger context, it was even idols that they went after. 
So support groups are about trying to stop the cistern drinking. Most support groups is how to stop drinking alcohol, right, or drugs or sex addiction or we'll all get together and, hey, did you fall in last week? Did you drink from that cistern last week? That's the second evil. We're trying not to commit sin. Won't work. If we don't commit the first evil, we won't go to the second evil. So you go to the fountain of living water, know God, understand him, reverence him, love him. And if we're not committing the first evil, we aren't going after the second evil. You follow that? It, it's just, it sits right there. And we know the first, the fountain of living waters that they drank from in 1 Corinthians 10, it was the rock, and that was Christ. So we go to Christ. I mean, we see the Godhead in the face of Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. So we're getting to know our God. And I have, I have so benefited reading and kind of following this that I started a whole notebook on the attributes of God, A.W. Pink's notes I have in there. I'm just going after this. And the more I'm knowing and understanding, the more I'm reverencing the Lord, the more I'm loving him. And sin isn't as attractive. And trusting and obeying increases. Omission of God, knowing him, will lead to commission of sin. And you can't just stop the commission. And I say that because just as brothers in Christ, we all are tempted. We all deal with temptation and sin in our life. You say, man, I'm just trying to stop that habit. I'm trying to stop that habit. I'm trying to stop that habit. And I wish I didn't do that. That's commission. And really put most of your attention. Go after knowing, fearing, loving. And make no provision for your flesh. I mean, don't. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for your flesh to fulfill it. And I share that just maybe as a, a help in your decision-making process and your own uh, pursuit of worshiping and glorifying the Lord. And there are a lot of ways to glorify the Lord, not just one way and not just most one way. I know one brother of ours who says, God is most glorified when I'm most satisfied. I, I don't really find that, uh, actually, anything most in the Bible, the word most. But Dr. MacArthur came up with 20 different ways in the scriptures where we glorify God, and none of them have most. We live with purpose. We confess sin. We pray expectantly. We live purely. We submit to Christ. We praise God. We obey God. We grow in our faith. We suffer for Christ's sake. We rejoice in God, worshiping God, bearing spiritual fruit, uh, proclaiming God's word, serving God's people, purifying Christ's church, giving sacrificially, unifying believers uh, when those who are lost get saved, shining Christ's light by our good works, spreading God's gospel. All of those, with all the references, bring glory to God. It's really not all about my pleasure. It's about pleasing him and making sure that he is pleased. We want to walk in a manner pleasing to him. And a byproduct is we get blessed in the process. But don't make God a 
a means to our end for pleasure. So pursuing a life of worshiping and glorifying God. Number three, recognizing God's sovereignty over all. And then take responsibility for your choices. God will not believe for you or obey for you. And you just can't claim, uh, well, he hasn't come through when he's told us what to do. Most all the imperatives, all the commands, have you at the sub, as the subject. It, it doesn't say God will encourage one another. It says you encourage one another. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, all of the one another's, there are about 35 of them. You love one another. It didn't say the Spirit will love one another. But the Spirit will help you love one another. It's by the Spirit you do anything. In Romans chapter 8, he's mentioned 20 times in that one chapter. It's by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh. It's by the Spirit. Everything is by the Spirit. So it's dependent work. Dependent choices. Lord, help me as I do this, Lord willing, for your glory. I mean, it's by the Spirit. So he will not believe for you and he will not obey for you. There, some of the method, and you say, okay, how do we begin? I mean, those are prerequisites. Now getting into the methodology. First of all, you want to submit your will to the Lord's. Not my will, but your will be done. This is where yielding does come in, in the scripture. It's not my will, but your will be done. That's why even when you plan in James 4, it's not, I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to do all these things, it's Lord willing, I'll do these things. It's right to plan, but it's Lord willing, submitting your will to the Lord's. And remember that knowing and obeying God's will so that we might walk in a manner worthy. And then continually have a humble, yielded, dependent will before God. And then it says continually pray, Lord, help me to know your word and to apply your word to the decision I have to make. That's wisdom is knowledge applied. Don't be waiting for epiphanies. Search the scriptures. You say, I pray for wisdom. Then go to the word. What does scripture say about what I should do in this situation? Or other people, maybe they can give me some principles in scripture, some passages to help. Then uh, start with gathering as much factual data as you can to make a wise decision. What, what's the decision you have to make? And gather all the information. This is where it's, if it's a job, if it's who to marry, boy, just do some investigation. Who is this person? Do I know them? Uh, do they know me? And, and uh, again, the, the weightier decisions are more time and effort is put there. So when Southern asked me to go uh, help them and serve there, I did some investigation. I mean, I was calling people. I called profs there and said, tell me what it's like working there. I called former profs, people who are no longer working there. And I, I wanted to know what I was getting myself into. And that, that's what you want to do. You want to gather factual data. I remember when I applied to, um, I was without a job for a while. I took a stand on something, and the leadership said, no, they wanted uh, more secular counseling. 
And I said, no, I can't. And they said, well, you either have to submit to that and get along with everyone else who's going all kinds of secular stuff, or this isn't going to be the place for you. And I said, well, that makes it kind of an easy choice for me, uh, sort of forced out. Okay, well, the Lord knew. Um, so I was unemployed. And I was, um, it's hard finding positions quickly. So I was doing temp jobs, cleaning industrial bathrooms. I mean, whatever I had to do to work, put food on the table and care for my wife and kids. But I was applying to different churches and schools and one church said, uh, yeah, we'd like to consider you. So I went up there, another state in the Midwest, and they took me on a tour of their facility. And I thought, okay, and we walked in and they opened up a, a door. And they said, here's where we keep all of the, the shovels and the, uh, the brooms and, you know, I'm going, that's kind of a strange thing to want to show uh, maybe a future pastor. I, I don't know, I just thought it was different. Okay, all right, closet where you keep things. And then we kept, and here would be your office. Now here's the copier, this is where we keep all the copy supplies. I'm going, well, this, is, uh, this isn't a, a church of 30 people. Uh, this is a larger church. What, what are you, I'm just thinking to myself, why are you showing me some of these things? So I was collecting data. Uh, it wasn't long till I was getting up to trying to make a decision and I was uh, not at the place of ready to make and, and say yes. They said, yes, we want you and uh, we'd like to issue a call. And I'm going, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to say yes yet. And I went back and I'm, thinking through, boy, did I gather enough information? The former pastor, I'm not talking to the former pastor. I know he left and it was not a good situation, but still I should talk with him. So I got his name, called him, and first thing out of his mouth, well, as soon as he learns I'm thinking about that position, did they show you the closet? Yes. He said, yeah, because they expect you to uh, shovel the snow and the get there early, and I'm going, well, surely I'd find someone else who could help, you know, I mean, help do things. The, the pastor doesn't do all the work of the ministry. You help equip others for the work, and you, this is a, a church thing, not a pastor does it all. Oh, no. They think you need to do it. I tried for years. They show you the copier? Yes. Well, this is why. I mean, right the first couple things out, and so apparently there was a real rub there for years, and that's why they wanted to show me right off the start, here's the couple of things that you'll be doing, but they didn't put it that way. And then the more they shared, I thought uh, that I had this little thought, it was a proud thought, well, he couldn't get them to do the things, but I could. I could get these elders, these other leaders to do, uh, to spread this out and others and I thought, no, I'm, that's, that's pride. So I said, no, thank you, uh, but no. And they said, we think it's God's will that you be here. Well, now this is making me more sure that this is not right, because <laughs> now they're going to tell me what to preach and where to live, right, and where the kids should go to school. I mean, they're going to start telling me what to do. And it just got from bad to worse what they were pushing, and it was just solidifying but get information, just keep getting information, submit your will to the Lord's. 
Then you move up to commands. Are there any biblical commands, whether I do this or take this direction or that direction? Now, I'm going to make a statement. I hope that you understand what I'm saying here. I think for most believers who want to know and love the Lord, there are very few commands that you have to really enter in on a lot of the decisions we have to make. Because it's don't lie, don't steal. We go, well, no, it's any of both ways I could go here would be good and could honor the Lord. That's where we're often faced with decisions. Having more children or foster care or adoption or, I mean, a lot of good things. It's not um, like I'm violating some biblical command. So, I mean, it's something to factor in. Commission and omission. So just, are there any commands? If not, then we're moving, and this is the area I think is most neglected. Principles. Compass. uh, Major principles in Scripture uh, that help us first in our walk with Christ. Is this making this decision? Well, I'll be so busy, I won't even have time to get in the Word. That could be a problem, right? Major problem. Is it going to affect my walk with Christ in a good way, as best I know? And what kind of influence will this have on other people, especially if you're married and have kids? What what influence will this have on other people in my decision-making? And I I broke that down, even uh, highlighted some other sub-points I mean, even thinking through with Christ and other people, would I want other people to do what I'm doing? Is it worth imitating? Follow me as I follow Christ. There are so many different biblical principles, and let me just mention a few of them. There are stewardship principles in in the Bible. Stewardship. That just means well-managed. Finances? How will this affect finances? Uh, Stewardship of time. Stewardship of your strength and energy. The area of priorities. Martha was busy. Mary was busy. Martha was busy about the wrong priorities. Mary had the right priorities. Both were busy. Martha should have realized Jesus can make food. You don't have to be busy around for lunch. He can just make it. Stewardship of rest and margin in your life? Are you so packed full? We'll read the book of Acts, and we'll go, and Paul was at this city in the next verse, and then he was at this city, and the next verse, and he was at this city. You go, yeah, you know what was between those verses? A three-month walk. A six-month sail. He had time to think, to pray, to disciple people, but we, we, we read that into our culture. We just boom, 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 boom. You, go, you know, you walked. Months. Sometimes getting from one place to another. Just be careful, you know, margin in your life with rest, with exercise, just good disciplined eating. I mean, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So just stewardship principles. There are working principles. 
God created us to work. But not work seven days a week. Our attitude at work, there's actually commands on what our attitude should be while we work. And there's provision. God uses means that we work to provide, not just for ourselves, but for others. In Ephesians 4.25, and to save. There are relationship principles in the area of communication and conflict resolution. And the, I mean, there, there's command, obviously, if you're thinking about a believer and unbeliever, but just principles about growing and putting off and putting on kind of things, showing hospitality, self-control, seeking godly counsel, Proverbs 15, 22, learning contentment in situations where you're at, walking with an eternal focus, but just thinking about these kind of principles as we are making our decision. How, how is this going to help me in my walk with the Lord, ministering to other people, including family? And then it broken down there into need. What is the need? Is there a God-given need here? That's why I don't go to Lowe's much or Home Depot. I need everything in those places. Right? I mean, and I used to go in there, wow, look at that drill. Look at this. Oh, look at that cart. And so, but I'm just asking yourself, is there a need with this person, this ministry? Is there a need for me to be involved on every uh, situation a person has does not mean a direct call on your life but it may mean you trying to find someone who can help. So is there a need? If someone came in the congregation here and said, um, I want to plant a church. Now leadership, well, where? Uh, just a block away. Is there a need for another church a block away? I mean, just thinking through. In, in uh, Louisville, in the metro area of Louisville, there are 150 Southern Baptist churches. And that was not a church planning strategy. That was all kinds of splits and, and don't like this and don't like that and preference issues. We'll start another church and 10 minutes away. And, uh, and a lot of them are liberal. Um, but it just, is there a need? for whatever the decision is. Is there a need for me to be involved in that? In Acts 6, a need arose among the, the people there in that early church. In Acts 6, 1 through 6, the apostles said, you know, we, we need to take care of it, but not us. We need to raise up some people who will help us. But they made sure it was met, but it did, was not a need for them be the ones doing it all. So just trying to think through what is the need and is directly, do I have to directly be involved or do I help? Even opportunity, which is the next one there, is there an opportunity to meet this need? I, there's passages about this. Uh, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, do good to one another, right? do good to all. It's 
as we have opportunity. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says to the Philippians, You desired to help me previously, but you had no opportunity. You couldn't get something to me to help me. But now you did have opportunity, and it came, and I'm thankful. So you have to say, is there a need? Is there an opportunity for Paul when he saw the situation with the Jerusalem church? Boy, they had a need. There was famine. There was definitely need. Paul could not. He couldn't meet the opportunity. He himself did not have what it took. So he was influential in contacting other churches who could make that opportunity happen and got the money and met the need. So it's just asking questions in the area of these principles. Uh, How will it affect my walk with Christ? You know, Dr. Moeller, uh, president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, said one time um, he got involved in that Sudoku, you know, the the word, uh, the number thing, and his mind, I mean, he's on a whole nother level. I'm just a sheep down here, and he's a giraffe way up there. It's just, uh, wow. Uh, but he's intrigued by so many things. Well, he got intrigued with that game, and he, he said, I found myself go- going to it more and more and more. And he said, I just had to pull away from it. He just had to say, I could. I have the freedom to do that, but it's taken me away from. So he was using principles. He had a freedom wasn't a sinful thing in and of itself, but it was beginning to take time that was going away from other things that could benefit other people, maybe even, uh, he didn't say about us, walk with the Lord. But this is, these are things to factor in on decision-making. The area of how will it affect other people and the decisions that you make. Is there a need? And what opportunity do I have And does God want me involved in this uh, decision that I'm facing? So those are biblical principles. That'll make more sense, I think, as we go through a situation here. Then you move on. um, These are other principles from the book Ethics for a Brave New World by the Feinbergs that uh, talk about, uh, again, still biblical principles, I believe it's right. Can I do this as unto the Lord? Can I do it without being a stumbling block? Does it uh, bring peace? I'm, that one is actually in the realm of a weaker, stronger brother issue uh, of unity. Does it edify my brother? Is it profitable? Does it enslave me? Or even potential? Does it bring glory to God? Then move on. So are there any commands? What are the principles? And now you move into a a period here or an area of, now I really have some freedom. What would I like to do? In light of commands and principles, wow, I could do this or I could do that. What would you like to do? Decision-making will not be as binding up as maybe it was before if you're saying, I just really want to know what God wants. And and 
No, he's revealed what he wants. So I'm going to make decisions based on the biblical commands and principles, and I'll trust him to redirect my steps. It just frees you up. There's much freedom following the Lord according to his word. I think um, I'd really like to do that. Then start moving. Because you've already gone through the rest. You've submitted your will to the Lord's. You've sought the counsel and the principles. I'm going to go that direction. And he might just redirect it. Or you, you go that direction. And it doesn't mean free of pain or free of any trouble. Watch that one. We think God's decreed will is heaven on earth. And it's not. His decreed will for your life may involve pain, suffering. It will. Trials. So I made all a decision and we went that way and then my child died. Okay? Must not have been God's will. No. If I, don't, don't go with circumstances. God will use that. I remember missionaries who did that, went overseas, and their child died as soon as they got there. And they thought, whoa, you really missed God's will. And as pastors, I mean, a few supporting churches, we said, no, we think, we believe, we sent you, you were following God's commands and principles. The Lord just wanted her home. And that was, her days were numbered, and that was the day he wanted her home. And do you know what God did in that community? They all watched this couple. It opened up all kinds of opportunities to witness because they saw a hope in this Christian couple that all these unbelievers didn't have. And that, that was so, the Lord had purposes, as he always does. But what would you like to do? Even with the woman who's single in 1 Corinthians 7, she wants to marry. Well, does she want to marry or stay single? And the Spirit, through Paul, writes whatever she wishes to do. Whatever she'd like to do, as long as it's in the Lord. And if you still can't decide, and you say, boy, I still have two choices there. Um, I would, Jay Adams just says, watch it. Make sure that you're saying, well, if I go this way, I don't know if that would be right. Ooh, now you've got, are you violating a command? I don't think it'll be right. That's right or wrong. Now you're into sin or not sin. And he says, don't move ahead. Haste can make sin. Moving too quickly. But if it's just, no, I, I like both of them. I like both directions. Not one's right or wrong, just both could be right. I just don't know which way to go, and I'm not quite. Then maybe go back. This is why I put there, letter B, possibly go back, gather more information. Gathering more information about the decision, maybe in that span of time, there's some things you'll learn that'll go, you know, they're not as equal. I kind of like one over the other. I think I'm going to go in that direction. And that's where giving the desires of your heart, when you go to Psalm 34, it's, it's in, in the context of knowing God, loving God, in his word, following his commands, his principles. He gives you the desires of your heart in the sense of, boy, when there's freedom, 
What would you like to do? And then you have to make your decision. You can't just sit there. You need to be moving and growing and serving. And so it'll look something like this. This is how, um, when we do, this is on your notes. It's a pyramid. I think it's on the last page. And it goes just like this. Just, it's not complicated. Right? You don't need a PhD. It's, just, it's not complicated. Challenging. Challenging to make decisions biblically because you have to get in the word and study. And, uh, but first, you want to submit your will to the Lord's humbly pray. Get all the information you can on the weightier decisions there. Then what commands? Is there anything that tells me do it or don't do it specifically? And often I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, nope, I, there's nothing one way or the other on this one. So then I'm on to principles, and this is where I get slowed down. This is a lot of work on this area. I want to go in the right direction, a compass. What's the right direction to head in? And so I'm studying the applicable principles concerning the issue at hand. And especially when it's involving my wife and I, we'll sit down. We were going on a trip, planning on a trip, and... This was just a few months ago to Knoxville, Tennessee. She, they uh, have a ticket for her, and so we were going to go. But she was having some health issues, heart-related, and there were some other things going on. And she said, boy, I, I don't know what to do here. And so we, we even put a piece of paper out, and we said, let's, let's just think this through. Are there any commands here? No. How about principles? Okay, now there's a lot of them. And um, it was in light, one of our children was in need of something. And so there's just fact, factoring in different things. Uh, I called the other church. They were going to have her do something for the ladies. And one meeting with the ladies. And we just talked. And they said, no, we want her to stay. Uh, I mean, if she's having those kind of issues and... I mean, for her good. And we had went to the doctor. He had just said it's not dangerous. But it's better if she's around here and not traveling. And she wanted me to, we were all talking. And she, I don't feel right pulling the plug on this thing. And I said, well, I'll pull it for you. Um, but what would she like to do? And she said, I'd like to stay. But, you know, obviously I'd like to minister to other ladies. And looking at the principles, the commands, even the conflicted desires, uh, we went right up and I made the decision uh, that she wouldn't go. She'll go at a different time. So have a year, she can use the ticket, we'll go back and do it another time, not right then. It was just, but sometimes you can get bogged down in something like that and it just gets, it just, you can flow right down into a decision and you can get other counsel, in which I had to actually call the place, the church, and ask what were they thinking on this. And I, I, I kind of knew what they would say. I knew the, the people there. But you have to factor them in. It's just gathering the information. It's, just, it's not super complicated. And that's what I wanted to sort of convey is 
if we can get into habits, many of you are already doing this, following these biblical principles of a methodology, it just helps tremendously on decision-making. And whether you're a young man, not married, or married, or looking for work or job, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, and this is a way we can walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. So in conclusion, just in this section here, am I really relying on other means to make my daily decisions again? What's my commitment to diligently study that scripture? And what decision am I facing right now that I really need to put some time in? I'm just doing this very thing. I mean, in a room this size, to think that there's no one's making any major decision in your life at all. Uh, they're just the mundane eating and drinking kind of stuff, but no major weighty decision. I, I mean, it might be true. I would probably doubt it. But what am I dealing with right now that I, I want to start this process of getting all of the data, prayerfully, not my will, your will be done, looking at the commands, the principles, and then coming to a decision. And if you get stuck, and I would say go talk to other brother, brothers in Christ who know the word of God, your spiritual leaders at church, saying help us with this one or help me with this. I think I've got this, but is there something else I'm missing? Um, that's the biblical method. I mean, it's, it's not more complicated than that. As I said, it's very challenging, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit, who's more than uh, desirous there to help us to do this in a way that pleases the Lord. So think about that as we break for lunch. And when we come back, I want to do a couple of sort of case studies of let's, let's try this out on a couple of case studies. And then we'll also have a time of questions that you might have on this topic. All right. So, uh, Richard, I don't, you want me to pray? Meet back at one o'clock. Father, thank you again for giving us your word. You've not left us here groping in the darkness in a fallen world on what to do, how to live in a way that pleases you, but you've been very clear in your word. This is your will to us. And it's out of your love for us that you gave it to us. And all the different passages that we looked at last night, it's on do it. That's what you're telling us to do. Do your will. And so may we do that in the various decisions, whether we're single, married, children, retired, grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever decisions we're making, that, Lord, we would do this according to your word by faith, with the help of your spirit being led by him to be more like Christ and pleasing you in our walk. Lord, watch over each one, even as we go to lunch. Thank you again for the health that you have blessed us with, that we can even be here. Many of our brothers and sisters are unable to even get out of the home. And so we just thank you, and may we be good stewards of that health. 
plus even the afternoon meetings. And we do not ever want to forget on any given day that, Lord Jesus, you could come back today. And we pray that that be so. When our faith will become sight. But until then, may we be found walking faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen.